Yeah, I'm just gonna have a cappuccino. Okay, perfect. Ah oui, on avait choisi. Oui, moi je vais prendre un cappuccino, s'il vous plaît. Et moi j'aimerais bien prendre un café gourmand avec café allongé, mais vous avez quoi comme dessert à côté de café gourmand? Tiramisu, mousse au chocolat et crème brûlée. Parfait, parfait. Tu veux ça aussi, Kelly? Oui, ok, je prends un café gourmand. Oui, café gourmand. Oui, oui. I'm Kelly and I'm here today with Delara. Hi Delara. Bonjour tout le monde. Uh, welcome on board. Uh, so yeah, today uh, it's the first time we are recording in a restaurant. It's a brasserie actually. Um, um, it is a brasserie called L'Honnête, which is en Côte de Vincent. Cour de Vincennes is where I actually come to do my shopping at the farmer's market on Saturday. So it's a really cozy little place uh, with like a little library behind us with books and like wine bottles and we decided to come here today for tea and coffee, for goûter basically. Yes, at <laughs> 4 o'clock. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's getting cold outside now and you can probably already hear that I have caught a cold already so early in the season. Just a little reminder, if you folks know any uh, calm cafes, brasserie, restaurant, uh, just send us the recommendations if you can so that we can continue recording with this background noise because uh, we heard the feedback from our listeners that this background noise is very much appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, what are we talking about today, Kelly? Today's episode is about the French language. Yes. So I feel it's obvious to say that one of the biggest challenges about coming here is learning the language. Mm -hmm. And when I say learning the language, I'm not only being able to speak to people and follow like a conversation of a group mm -hmm. of people, I also mean being able to watch like news and TV, television programs that mm -hmm. don't have subtitles. Um, and I also mean being prepared to respond to a native speaker when you're trying to engage them in conversation. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to start a conversation, <laughs> it's another thing to be able to continue that conversation. Merci. Yeah, our goûter just arrived. We're both having some coffee uh, with mousse au chocolat, tramisu, and uh, creme brulee. Creme brulee. I love creme brulee. Yeah, me too. Me too. And uh, this is called um, Café Gourmand. Yeah. And you can always order this at any brasserie, and it comes with small portions of the main desserts. Yeah. And that's the best video of it. We're having three desserts. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, please go ahead, Kelly. <laughs> so. Back to, as I was saying, um, all of those things about learning that language, but the, also the element of being constantly aware of the words that you have to use, being constantly aware of the pronunciation, mm -hmm. and also um, being quite disappointed when you can't express your true personality with such a limited vocabulary. That is very true, yes. I also find whenever we speak a language that is not our mother language, our personality changes a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. my French personality, English personality, 
and Turkish personality are completely three different personalities. Yes, that's exactly. And not only does your personality change some, somehow, but the tone of your voice changes. That's very true, yeah. So because learning a language is such a universal experience, there's always the same frustrations for everyone, mm -hmm. I think. Um, so today, instead of focusing on our journeys to get mm -hmm. to, well, in my case, bilingual, in your case, multilingual. Mm -hmm. um, what I want to do is uh, actually talk about the French language itself. I want to talk about it's like, well, for me, a fascinating history that it has mm -hmm. and its controversial present. Yeah. And also how it continues to evolve. Um, mm -hmm. We're not going to be diving into like any high literature here either. So like no Molière, <laughs> no Baudelaire, nothing like that. This is just talking about the French that you would speak with your friends. Let's get into it then. Just to start off with, I have some facts about the language itself. Now, I was very careful to not say fun facts, okay? <laughs> Just some facts about the French language that I pulled off Wikipedia. So, you guys can feel free to fact check me on any of these if you want. Well, the French language, or la langue française, mm -hmm. it's a Romance language and it's from the Indo-European family. True. It's descended from the vulgar Latin from the Roman Empire and it was influenced by Celtic languages and by the Germanic Frankish invaders. Mm, that part I actually didn't know. It is one of the six official languages spoken in the United Nations. Yeah. It is spoken as a first language in France, Canada, Belgium, Western Switzerland, parts of Luxembourg, mm -hmm. parts of the United States, Monaco and various other communities elsewhere, obviously lots of places in the continent of Africa as well. Yeah, that's true. Did you know that France is estimated to have about 76 million native speakers right now? About 235 million daily fluent speakers and then another 77 to 110 million secondary speakers who speak it as a second language to like various... Us. Like us! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in 2011, uh, Bloomberg ranked French as the third most useful language that you can speak for business mm. after English and after standard Mandarin Chinese. Ah, so French is the third. I yeah. actually didn't know that either. That helps French speakers to find, you know, international jobs. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought of as well. I actually don't like Mousse chocolate, so you can also eat mine if you want. I'm not keen on tiramisu if you want to swap. Yes. <laughs> I have two tiramisu. I've got two chocolate mousses. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that was a really nice bilingual joke. <laughs> So I know we said we're not gonna like talk about our journey of uh, learning the French language, uh -huh. um, but I just want to mention one thing. Uh, when I think of what's unique about learning French, the first thing that really comes into my mind is the pronunciation. Okay. The Turkish language is uh, accurately phonetic, so every letter, letter in the alphabet has a sound and most of the words are pronounced as they are written. Right, okay. So even if you don't speak Turkish, if you know how to read the alphabet, you can actually read in Turkish without knowing what you're saying. Because Turkish was like that, and when it comes to French, not only do the way you write and pronounce differ, and not only by mispronouncing, you may end up saying another word, uh, but if you skip a sound while pronouncing a word, the person in front of you would just like stare at you blankly, thinking, uh, is she speaking gibberish to me? Oh really? Yeah, like not understanding because you mispronounced it. Okay, not even with context? Uh, yeah, that happens quite often to okay. me. Yeah. Okay, I only speak three languages. I'm not a polyglot. I don't have the expertise to compare my experience to others, but this mispronunciation of words really breaks the communication for me. 
and only when I'm communicating in French with French natives. Um, just really ironically, you don't have the expertise, not expertise. Ah, <laughs> so did you, but did you misunderstand me there? I absolutely understood you. Yes, yes of course I understood you. <laughs> so me mispronouncing that word yeah. did not break our communication. No, absolutely not. No, but it does happen to me, unfortunately, yeah. when I'm speaking French with uh, French natives. Uh, but that was funny. <laughs> Uh, it also happens uh, to me again when I'm misgendering nouns. Again, in Turkish, there is, or English language either, uh, both of them are not gendered. So it was really uh, new to me. Uh, but the fact that if you misgender the noun and if you pronounce it, even if you pronounce it correctly, uh-huh. like instead of saying uh, la baguette, if you say le baguette, sometimes they're like, did you mean la baguette? Okay. You know, they do that. I mean, this is not a generic experience, mm. uh, it, but it happens every now and then. And either the person doesn't understand you, or they just correct you, which you just did. <laughs> but I know, like you did it because it was funny. <laughs> over the, I think I would say, like over the past ten years, I have learned how to put these people back in their places. Yeah. Not you. <laughs> you can't if you want. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, but I still find it really challenging not to let it get to me because some people just say, oh, I want to teach you, but if you stop every word that I'm saying and you correct me, I'm not going to be able to communicate with yes. you. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. If you, like you say, you can mispronounce a word and it can mean something mm-hmm. completely different. Sometimes it, it can move from a very innocuous, innocent word to something really sexy and vulgar. Yeah, that's so, also the point. So you have mm-hmm. to walk that fine line with some of those words as well. Mm-hmm. So, But I, I haven't had exactly the same experience. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you've already mentioned briefly the gender nouns that exist in French. Like mm-hmm. you said, la baguette, la baguette. This idea of gender nouns exists in quite a lot of languages. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not that uncommon. Obviously, German has masculine, feminine, and neutral. There's lots of other languages that have kind of multiple genders, but it doesn't exist in English. So yeah. it's something that I've always found quite complicated on how to how to gender your nouns because it's really important because you then have to have the agreement that goes with yeah. that gender. The as conjugation well. of the ver- uh, verb. Exactly. Yeah. I have always wondered who decides the gender of nouns, hmm. and it turns out it's l'Académie Française. Of course it's them. So l'Académie Française acts as like the official grammar police of the French language. And if you're learning French right now and you're like a language nerd like me and Delara, uh, the website is worth having a look at. Actually, there's some really interesting stuff on there when they talk about the French language. Um, there have been some notable rulings by the l'Académie Française obviously in 2020 COVID has been a recent example I remember this discussion yeah (laughs) but but, but what is it gonna be woman or uh, man so they decided the the grammar police decided it was going to be feminine but by the time they got around to making their ruling the whole world had decided that it was masculine so it just became the COVID Mm -hmm. and they were overruled by the masses to make (laughs) make COVID masculine Um, another notable example was in in 2016 Mm -hmm. with Brexit so mm. Brexit was becoming a thing in the European Union and all the countries in the European Union were discussing are we going to make this masculine or are we going to make this feminine uh-huh. so, and everyone in Britain was like what? <laughs> why is this important? but it was like a discussion that was going on by the four main sort of countries so Spain, uh-huh. uh, France, Germany and Italy all had very good reasons as to why they decided to make Brexit masculine or feminine mm-hmm. and France ended up being masculine 
and Italy favoured it to go feminine. Okay. Yeah. So um, there's a really wonderfully snarky article by The Guardian, which I read, just uh, just done a bit of research from this. Uh-huh. And uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's quite old, obviously. It was like back in 2016, yes. but it's still quite fun to read. Oh, that's good. I want to read that article. We'll put it in the show notes. Sure. Yeah. So on the subject of having nouns gendered, it mm-hmm. sort of raises the question of how sexist is the French language? Mm. So I found this book which was written by an activist called Davy Board mm-hmm. and it's called Tire en la Long, Plaidoyer contre le sexisme dans la langue française mm-hmm. and that goes for let's stick out our tongue yeah. and it's um, advocating for the sexism in the French language, that's what that translates to. I agree with him. Already, <laughs> I don't know what he said but I already agree with him. <laughs> so I kind of agree with him as well but let's have a look at some of the arguments that he puts forward oh, okay. to kind of prove mm-hmm. why, well, why he thinks the French language is sexist or not. The first argument is the masculine takes precedence over the feminine. I have a big sign and I'm trying not to be negative, but it is such a complicated rule. Why would you have that rule? Why does like, anyway, go ahead, please explain. Yes, so the rule that Delara is getting really frustrated by, (laughs) we all learned this in school, right? This Mm -hmm. is like basic French. Even if you have a hundred women and you have one man in a room, you will use the conjugation for the masculine of they, which is is rendering all the women in that room invisible. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So it's really it's a, it's a very obvious injustice to women in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, the culprit of this, would you like a man to blame, Delara? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> Give him to me. <laughs> so the man that we're going to blame is a grammarian, and his name is Claude Favre de Vaugelas. Okay. Who wrote? Is he in still alive? Well, if this was 1647, so oh. I doubt it. <laughs> okay, please keep going. <laughs> so, from his seat in l'Académie Française, he said, the masculine gender being the noblest, most predominant, whenever the masculine and feminine are found together. A century later, another mm-hmm. uh, grammarian, his name was Nicolas Bose, Okay. And he added to this and he said, the masculine gender is deemed more noble than the feminine because of the superiority of the male over the female. Okay, okay. So basically the core reason of having this rule is sexist. Basically, Like man yes. rule woman. Um, to avoid having this sort of conflict with the, with the female population, they decided not to allow any females to be members. Problem solved, right? Really? Yeah. Is it still the case? Do you know? I'm not sure actually if it's that, like, I wouldn't I wouldn't think so that it's still the case now. Surely that wouldn't be legal yeah, now. It would, would be it? an outrageous reason for us to go out and protest. Yes. <laughs> take the take yeah. the streets whenever yeah. we're not happy about things here, yeah. but Let's go, let's go and egg the Académie Française. <laughs> so a few decades later, Louis-Nicolas Becherel, who gave his name to the books that were placed on school tables, like Bibles of the French language, mm-hmm. wrote in 1835 in the Grammaire Nationale, masculinity always announces a great and noble idea. He added, the masculine is more noble than the feminine. That's it. Everyone has a, be- a copy of Becherel. The minute... He said we're gonna do the language topic today. That was the first book that came into my same. mind. I'm like, yeah. this is a good prop for a photo. Yeah. And same. it is true, like it is um, peace in our household. And when my partner and I are discussing some thing, and then he just doesn't remember how to conjugate the verb, 
he's native French. He would go and pick up the book and he'd be like, oh, okay, so this is how we do it. Yeah. I mean, he's 38, 39 years old and yeah. he still has to check. Yeah. This is how complicated <laughs> conjugating words, the verbs are. So. Yeah, absolutely. So since then, the rule that the masculine takes precedent over the feminine has been handed down from generation to generation, we've discussed this. But all the way back in the French Revolution, women had already began to revolt about this. So this is back in 1789, they wrote to the Académie Française mm -hmm. and they demanded that the masculine gender, even in grammar, all sexes must be equally noble. They just didn't respond. Yeah, I'm not surprised because all the women who revolted against the sexism within the revolution also got guillotined, like yeah. they died. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm not really surprised about this. Although, like, I've recently been to a house party and this topic came up. Okay. And some women were, like, complaining about it. I was just listening <laughs> because I get angry about these things. But, so, yeah, basically what happened is that she was talking about it. Some women were talking about it. And the men were like, yeah, but that's, that's the rule. Like, you cannot change rules like that. It's always been that way, yeah. you know? But when you come to think about it, men didn't want women to vote because it's always been that way so yeah. i think it can be revisited these kind of rules yeah really what would be the solution going forward and how to evolve the language to remove that element of it if it's been in there for centuries yeah and it's also a part of uh we can visit this later on in this episode the protectionism of french language yeah. so i can understand not, not just because somebody's sexist they would say oh no let's not change this but it's also to protect the french language they would be against it so his second argument is gender professions mm. grammar makes a point of separating men and women in many professions the gender is reminding us that the fireman is a, is a man and the midwife is a woman this is actually more obvious in a political stage yeah. Once in the National Assembly, and this was back in 2014, a male deputy addressed the female president of the session with a le président. Yeah, he um, said Madame le président. If you weren't going to say that, I was going to mention it. I still remember that, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of proof that the grammatical gender given to a profession influences our imaginations in some way. And so that it seems strange that we would call a woman president, in which sense it's strange that a woman would be president. That's very true. Yeah, I like this argument. Does he have other arguments in the book? So his third argument is the word femme. Hmm. Start with the word homme. That designates both a male person and the whole of humanity. Okay, well the word femme designates uh, a female person or a wife. This is actually the same in English, like, so I'm not really sure that this is proven a point because like man in English, mankind, would express all of humanity as well. Hmm, it, I'm just thinking about Turkish and it is ungendered, like there's no genders. We just say humans uh -huh. and that's it. Insanoğlu. Okay. Although we can say sons of humans, that is interesting. This, so yeah, this so argument can be spread across <laughs> multiple languages. Okay. When we hear Elle sa femme, hmm. means that is, she is his wife. It could also mean she is his woman. Yeah. But never for a man do we hear he is the man of. It doesn't work the same way. Yeah. So it kind of makes the the position of the woman going back to being some sort of. Property, property definitely, and I don't like to refer to someone's wife as sa femme, 
Yeah, I, I just yeah. say their partner, although they're Safam, I, I just cannot use that word. Yeah. I don't like it. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. And I think like maybe for native French speakers, they don't think about it like this when they're speaking that language because for them it means wife. Yeah. But because it's our second or third language, we think about what we're saying a lot more or we just put more reflection on it, basically. Yeah. The other word here would be mademoiselle. Mm. Now, I don't hear mademoiselle that often. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm too old because I always thought mademoiselle was like a like a miss, like it was an age mm -hmm. thing. It actually is a, a woman who's not married. Mm -hmm. um, that status of being mademoiselle means that you're, you don't belong to a man yet. Mm -hmm. Which I never really when, when I heard it, I thought, oh, that's a, that's quite that's, that's quite a lovely French word, mademoiselle, very chic. But yeah, it's not. No, it's not. And also, like, when I'm making exchanges, I don't know, at the farmer's market or at a shop or someone is talking to me like a uh, waiter, they would, cheeky ones would go ahead and ask me if they should call me madame or mademoiselle. Okay. And that's so disturbing because they're actually asking me if I'm married oh, okay, and okay. if I belong to someone. Right, I okay. interpret it that way. Yeah. Because I've been into activism, I know a lot of uh, feminist activists in uh, Paris who are my friends and they do get in active arguments with people whenever someone would actually call them mademoiselle. Right, okay. uh, and I, I don't know, I should have looked into this, but there is also, um, I think some rules have changed around it. You don't have to get married to be called madame. Right, the point that, the point that Davy makes is that uh, there is no equivalent for men. Yeah. So Mademoiselle is, is telling you that she that the woman is not married, mm -hmm. but it's always Monsieur, and you never know if that man has a wife or not. Yeah. But again, thinking about this in an English sense, there's Miss, mm -hmm. and there's Mister, and there's Misses. So would an unmarried woman in an Anglophone country being called Miss, would she take that as offensively as being mm. called Mademoiselle here? Does it have the same impact? Again, I'm not really sure about this one, mm -hmm. but I know I do not like being called Mademoiselle. Okay. The book goes on to summarise the issues raised by this grammatical gender. Um, he's saying that it's not actually the problem, and ever, you know, if we fix this, it's not going to fix the patriarchy. Obviously, it's much deeper than that. Um, but what he does say is that, like, this very obvious discrepancy in language should be addressed, and it should be something that's discussed, mm -hmm. and it should be something that's looked into to try and move away from these sort of archaic uh, words that were used centuries ago. Just opening it up for discussion is also uh, something to do. Yeah. Because I feel like the discussion around this is pretty much closed. So, Delara, just a bit earlier in the discussion, you talked about protectionism in hmm. the French language. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, I wanted to talk about it because you mentioned Académie Française, um, and I think we should explain what that is, that yeah. institution is. Okay. This is gonna this is gonna connect to protectionism of <laughs> the French language. It is the oldest of the five academies of institutes in France, and it was established in 1635. The main purpose of the creation of Académie Française was rela related to the centralization of power in France by using language. Right, okay. Back when it was created, France was still undergoing a period of expansion uh -huh. and it was not seen as a unified state okay. as it is seen today. And the regional identities were a lot more stronger than the centralized identity. So in order to create one, 
the king, uh, Louis XIII, wanted to centralize linguistic authority in Paris. Right, okay. And he wanted to suppress all the regional dialects. Right. So they used language in a way as a weapon <laughs> okay. to, to, to create this one identity. Wow, okay. And I think this really explains the roots of protectionism of the French language because it's founded and built as a foundation of French identity. Okay. I would say worldwide French uh, was really the dominant diplomatic language up until the 20th century. Uh -huh. Uh, however, with the decline of uh, France's imperial power in the mid-20th century, things started to change. Um, France kept pushing for more and more initiatives and even laws to enforce the use of French. So there is one law that blows my mind. In 1994, it's uh -huh. called Tout Bon Law. Yeah. It made uh, mandatory the use of French language in all TV broadcasts. Wow, so okay. this is why when you watch any uh, foreign movie, it's dubbed. There is no subtitles because right, you're okay. not allowed to broadcast it with subtitles. Oh, right, okay. You also are forced as a radio station to play at least 40% of French music. Right, okay. Uh, this start. They started protesting about this, especially radio stations, because they just didn't want to play French uh, chansons anymore. And even like artists like Daft Punk, they were creating uh, songs uh, with uh, English uh, lyrics, and Daft Punk is French. Yeah. So they were like, we cannot play Daft Punk. So they made this like counter argument, and the law was revised in 2016. But it's still pretty much the case. I am. I had heard of the 40% French music on the radio. Uh, I didn't know the name of the law, and yeah. I didn't know it was uh, I didn't know it was quite as recent as that either. Yeah, very recent, 1994, and I think it's the minister. That's why it's called. I think that's his name, Toubon. Yeah. I mean, regardless of all the pushback on the transformation of the French language, I would say it is still evolving, and especially on day-to-day -day speech. Uh, there's a lot of political debate around using franglais or anglicism, for example. Aside from many uh, English words like shopping, yeah. uh, brushing, merging into the French language, there is also a lot of English verbs uh, used with French conjugation. Okay. And you would hear these a lot at the office, for example, if you're a white-collar worker. Um, so for example, book, uh, booking someone. Right. Instead of saying, uh, est-ce que tu as réservé une salle de réunion? You can say, est-ce que tu as booké okay. une salle de réunion? Right. So that means like if you did you book a meeting room, right? Uh, you can take the English verb and then conjugate it in French, okay. and it also works with other languages. For example, Arabic, the word uh, "kayf," which uh -huh. means uh, which is also the same word in Turkish, "kayf," it means pleasure, uh -huh. and it is used in French as uh, they took it as "kif." instead of saying kif because I think it's difficult for them to pronounce that. Yeah. So they take kif, kifans as a word, it means pleasure. Yeah. And kife in the master verb form, 
it means uh, you enjoy doing something and okay. you can even say like je te kiffe if you want to say like you like someone and it's a cute way of saying it and personally I love this a lot because it makes it so much easier for me to communicate in French and it also helps like my relationship with my partner uh, because like the rule is there it's very clear so I can even take like a Turkish verb that he knows and I would conjugate it in French and he understands what I'm saying I see okay <laughs> <laughs> For me, communication is about not about rules, yeah. really. It's about like understanding each other. Yes. So I'm all up for like Anglicism, Franglais, slang, whatever. It just like really helps me communicate. So let's talk a bit about a bit of French slang then. Uh, yes. Um, because it makes you sound more French. Of course if, it does. If you can throw in a bit of slang there when you're talking to someone. <laughs> and I want to start with. Verlan. Ah, yeah. For those of you who aren't familiar with, with the term Verlan, words in Verlan are formed by switching the order in which the syllables from the original word are pronounced. Mm -hmm. Words with multiple syllables may be uh, Verlanized more ways than one. So, for example, cigarettes can be either Garetsi or Redsiga. Oh, I never heard that actually. Yeah, I hadn't heard that either. Mm -hmm. So there's more than one way to Verlanize your words, <laughs> I guess. The word Verlan itself is an example oh, of Verlan yeah. because it's making the lamb verse and you're changing the words to yeah. the Verlan. It means like back to front. Mm -hmm. The study of Verlan is actually not, not really that common because it's passed down orally. Mm -hmm. So there's no written documentation as to what these mm -hmm. words actually are. Some Verlan words such as Mouf, which is yeah, yes. so it's the inverse of fun, and it's become so commonplace that actually it has been introduced into uh, the Petit Larousse, which is like a language encyclopedic dictionary, mm -hmm. which is like first appeared in like 1905. So the purpose of Verlan originally was to create like a secret language that only speakers could understand, hmm. and this was generally in a with, with like young people in the cities and in the suburbs or the banlieue. Mm -hmm. Although some upper, some French upper class youth have also started using it in their slang, so it's moved out of these sort of uh, mm -hmm. suburban areas into so like more upper class. it's not a class, class. Uh, thing anymore. It was, but mm -hmm. not anymore. Many Verlan words also refer to sex and drugs. Mm -hmm. That's related to the original purpose of like keeping this language secret from authority. This makes me think about like LGBT slang, uh, in Turkish it exists, in uh, English it exists, it's again, um, because I didn't know where Lan was created like this and it really connects to like keeping something secret from someone, yeah. like your sexual orientation, Okay. so I didn't know it had this connection, it's really interesting. Yeah. In theory, like any French word can be made into Verlan. But only like a few expressions are used like in everyday speech mm -hmm. and it's generally limited to like one or two percent otherwise you'd sound like a fool. <laughs> <laughs> so a really good example of this but recently was um, the French language movie poster for the Barbie movie released in, in 2023. Um, there's, there's a line in it which was interpreted as Verlam. So the, the tagline for the movie was El peut tout faire, oui. Says just Ken. <laughs> so it means she can do everything, but he is just Ken. So by referring to the character Ken, which is Verlan um, version of Nick, mm -mm. and Nick is a slang term for sex, mm -hmm. and allowed when you say that tagline, it says, We say just Ken, which means he only knows how to fuck. <laughs> yes. 
So this caused a whole load of controversy on social media. I saw everywhere. it. Yeah. And the producers and the distributors of the movie were like claiming complete, like, they were like, we didn't know that. Absolutely <laughs> not. You know, we didn't know anything about this. So it remains to, remains to be seen whether or not it was like a marketing campaign or not. I could have been. Yeah. Ah, I didn't think about it that way. It was hilarious to see that. It though. was, yes. <laughs> So yeah, so there's different regions of France have their own different and distinct slang and here it's like Argo, that's how you say that in French. Um, so this word Argo popped up in France originally in the 17th century. Originally it was the name of a group of thieves, uh, the Argotier, and later evolved into Largo as a general label for like all thieves and beggars. So these groups spoke in their own secret language just to obviously prevent outsiders understanding them, which led to this language being dubbed Argo. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a list of Argo words actually, oh, which yeah. is which is to like fluentu.com because uh, we're not going to go through them all, but there is like a very concise list of like words and their meanings on there if you mm-hmm. want to uh, learn some of them and drop some of those into your, into your day-to-day French. <laughs> it does make you sound like you know the language yeah. a lot better. Um, I was talking to a, a guy one night and I was using the, the, the word bal instead of yeah. euro. So I was talking about the price of flights back to Scotland and I told him they were like, like on bal. Mm-hmm. And he was just looking at me like, oh my god, you're using the word bal. You don't even say euro. It's, that's like so French, but you have such a Scottish accent. That's so weird. <laughs> but I felt like really, like, yeah, I can totally speak French. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because a similar thing happened to me. Um, when I said uh, I was outside in a bar with someone and I didn't like the bar, like I wanted to leave, so I said, on se casse. And this person just looked at me and they said, like, I really have difficulty um, putting a level to your French because sometimes you really speak badly, but then you say just things like on se casse and you're like, oh, okay, she's native. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And the Bali example uh, made me think. These slang words, I mean, you mentioned that it's not being documented. It is very generational as well, because um, when I was with my partner's parents, and I did mention euros, instead of saying euros, I said bal. Uh, We spent this much bal on it. And then she looked at me, this is really interesting. So now bal is being used uh, for euros. And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, we used to say bal for francs. So I don't use bal for euros anymore. And I was like, well, we do. <laughs> so yeah, but still, you also like have to be careful with the context too, um, because like we mentioned meuf, yeah. which is Verlong, and then there is nana uh-huh. in slang, which also means woman. Um, and depending on the context or whom you're talking with, uh-huh. it can be degrading or offensive. Yeah. You and I, as like French being our uh, second language, we don't come into this context part because people know it's just an honest mistake. But if a native French person does use it inten- intentionally uh, to degrade a woman, then they re- very well know like they're okay. doing that. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, as you said, like it really makes you sound French, and that's why I always paid a lot of attention to these words, uh, as well as expressions and idioms. I know like some of them are quite outdated, but some have transformed, and they're being used a lot in day-to-day French language. For example, at the office, you would hear people say "Je suis sous l'eau," okay. I'm underwater, which means that they have a lot on their plate; they're busy. Or if you're being nosy with someone, they'll just tell you, c'est pas tes oignons, it's yeah. not your onions, meaning it's none of your business. I use uh, that quite a lot, actually, mm-hmm. I really like it. Yeah. Yeah. 
And the reason I'm mentioning this is because I'm very poor at understanding idioms and I take everything to the first degree meaning. Okay. So I used to, and I still do, whenever somebody says these kind of things in a day-to-day -day language, I ask them what that means. And then I note them down on my phone and wait for that perfect moment <laughs> to get it out, like memorize it. Okay, it means this, this, this. And then I would insert it in my speech yeah. so that I would sound more French. Yeah. So you're talking about sounding mm -hmm. more French. Uh, mm -hmm. What about the sound effects that you can make and like filler words? That... What is so funny about this is that without even saying a word, by making the right sound effects, you can communicate perfectly yes, well. You can. <laughs> and it's, okay. it's like a cheat sheet. Yeah. Uh, fine. Just when you're thinking about the next thing to say. Mm, yeah, and you would say like, yeah, but... but it's just a noise. Or like up, Ali, up, up. Yeah, that's one. Um, uh, tack, 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 tack. Or whenever you're going through something like tack, 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 I've done that. Yeah. Mm. And also one that's like replaced quite a lot of other words is duku. <gasps> it's um. What is it called? It's a, it connects sentences. Yeah. It's yeah. a filler word. It is a filler word, yeah. But you can say it at the start of a sentence, you can say it at the end of a sentence, mm -hmm. you can say it in the middle of a sentence, and it always mm -hmm. makes sense. You could use duku for, for anything. And when I first came here, that I heard people say it, and I started using it at the beginning. And back then, I guess it was like 2014, people are like, no, 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 you cannot use it at the beginning of a sentence. Well, that changed. Yes. You can use it anywhere, anywhere now. Anywhere you want, exactly. <laughs> anywhere you want. And also another favourite mine is putting qua at the end of your sentences. Mm, and this one, huh? Yeah. Like, which means, oh, right? <laughs> like, I use it all the time and sometimes wrong. Like, my partner would be like, no, like, you cannot say, oh, at the end of everything. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but now it became like a reflex. Yeah. <laughs> That's it, exactly. You just get into the habit. And until someone tells you mm -hmm. that you're wrong, you're just gonna keep doing it. But that's the same with, with any anything that you're saying in French. Mm -hmm. If someone doesn't tell you you're wrong, you're gonna continue until you're corrected. Yeah, yeah. Or until the language changes so that I don't need to be corrected anymore. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I think we should also talk about is accents. Okay. I mean, accents are a huge part of any language that is spoken in especially large lands. Uh, so this is a universal thing, I understand that. Uh, and as we mentioned before, France fought really hard to distinguish the dialects used in the mainland France. So your dialect or your accent, I know those are two different things. Uh -huh. But here they are seen as a part of your identity as well as your social class. So for any new counter that I have, uh, when I speak French, obviously I have an accent. But because I don't have an English accent in French, it's very difficult for people to understand where that accent is. The first thing, majority of the people, they ask me where I'm from. Like, I would be, hi, how are you, whatever. That's like an icebreaker for people. Yeah. Uh, because they say, oh, I can hear a little bit of an accent in your, in your speech. I have issues with this. Unfortunately, I'm learning how to live with it and I'm not trying to see it as a form of racism. Uh, but this never happened to me when I was living in the US oh, really? okay. and, or in the UK. Like I 
never lived in the UK, but I visit very frequently. But again, my experiences in these other countries that I mentioned, US and the UK, are of course nowhere to be compared to France. I lived there for 10 years, so I'm encountering many more people here. Sure. Aside from your accent being pointed out, it can also be a topic of mockery. Yes. Here. Uh, yeah. I looked into this. It's called glutophobia, and it became a huge topic, right. even went all the way to the parliament in 2018. Uh, that Mélenchon, who is a leader in the left political uh, wing, uh -huh. he was uh, having an interview and then a French journalist uh, with a southern accent asked him a question and he responded by saying, does anyone else have a question in understandable French? Wow, right, okay. And I mean, Mélenchon obviously does not represent the entire left wing. However, even if someone who's yeah. a political leader uh -huh on that side who's supposed to promote diversity is struggling to accept accents and finding finding it free to market then I think <laughs> it says a lot about how far France has to go in order to normalize, normalize having an accent. I speak French with a very heavy accent as well because I, obviously my Scottish accent makes my vowels very heavy. Sometimes you're not understood because of your pronunciation and mm -hmm. how you heavy you make your vowels. Have I been a subject of mockery? Yes, I have. Mm -hmm. um, by people close to me, by strangers, and mm -hmm. you're right. I don't really think it. I don't really think the impact of that is really appreciated as to how that makes you feel when you're mm -hmm. trying to learn a language, yeah. you're trying to communicate properly, and you're mocked for it. It's yeah. a real shame. So I think the reason I wanted to mention this is because like, if you're listening to this um, episode and if you're not a native French speaker, if you're trying to learn French, trying to get integrated here and people are mocking your accent, try not to take it personally because it is a part of the culture. I mean, I still haven't made peace with it, but at least I've learned not to take it personally. Yeah. So uh, do we have a quote today? Yes, we do. It's uh, from Marina Yeguelo. Uh -huh. It's from her book Le Mot et les Femmes. Language is a cultural mirror which fixes symbolic representations and echoes prejudice and stereotypes at the same time as feeding and maintaining them. What do you think about this? I think after the conversation we've had, it's very true. The stereotypes that we've talked about in terms of the sexism of the, of the mm -hmm. French language, uh, we already sort of touched on the fact that the language is evolving, mm -hmm. but there's also the problem there of how you get past all of these old sort of rules that we, that we follow within the language itself. The mirror on culture, um, I think that, that shows itself with Berlin, with Argo, with like mm -hmm. the youth culture that's, that's created out of almost nothing. Uh, so yeah, I really love this quote. I think it captures this topic really, really well. I agree with you and I think I never thought about looking at language this way as a cultural um, mirror, as you said. And I think the way we approach this episode uh, as we discussed it, it really reflects that. So yeah, I totally agree. So thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Presque Parisien. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And don't forget that we do have an email address where you can send your comments or feedback or suggestions to us. If you are listening to our podcast, then please feel free to rate us on Spotify yeah. and Apple Podcasts. It makes it easier for people to find us. If you do that, it would be super kind. Thank you. And until next time, au revoir. À la prochaine.